For this episode of Metaphors Be With You, we'll be talking about sex and sexuality in Star Wars, a topic that simultaneously has lots to talk about and almost nothing. Hi, I'm Rob Hired of Chipperish Media, and this is a podcast about symbolism and allegory in Star Wars, the movies, the TV shows, the books, and everything else. Each episode will take a topic and apply it across whatever Star Wars media seems most appropriate. This topic comes from the always brilliant Noelle LaCroix, who co-hosts Still Pretty and Orgasm for this very podcasting network, hive mind, anarcho collective. We'll go with anarcho collective. Noelle, by the way, has been editing this show all along, and I haven't credited them because I'm a jerk. Thanks, Noelle. Anyway, the early days of Star Wars pretty much kept its presentation of sex and gender as safe and standard as possible. There was really just the one female character. And the romantic triangle between her and her two male co-stars was resolved in the least conflict-generating way possible by revealing that one of them was her brother and therefore off-limits. It kept the sexual relationship between Leia and Han tastefully off-screen, implied solely in a costume change see episode 2 of this podcast for details, and both the original expanded universe and the newer Disney canon made sure that they got married and then had children. This was all expected and standard for a pop culture property in the 1970s and 80s. The U.S. has a long history with puritanical attitudes about sex, and since sex wasn't the main point of the story, I don't imagine Lucas felt any need to rock that particular boat in a series of films that he was explicitly making for children. But even back in the 80s, the peripheral content got a little more adventurous. An interesting example is a species called the Z-Deck, created for the original tabletop role-playing game. The Z-Deck are supposed to have over 180 sexes, all with distinct physiologies and abilities, only a handful of which are actually documented, but with a note that the GM should just invent one when they want an alien with a specific appearance or powers, but don't want to create a whole culture and planetary origin. This feels to me like a perfect example of the relatively common phenomenon of science fiction writers using the form to gesture at something interesting without really carrying it through to any kind of conclusion. What does a culture with 180 biological sexes look like? Are they forced into having more of a continuum of gender, or do they somehow have 180 little gender boxes to stuff everyone into? It's not addressed, because this is sci-fi gimmickry to give the Game Master a convenient tool for their toolbox. The good news is that the bug-looking opera singer from The Last Jedi is canonically a Z-deck, marking the species' return to the canon, so who knows what many sex adventures await us in the future. Things got slightly more complicated with the prequels, which introduced the idea of virgin birth to the galaxy far, far away. And once again, the explanation is sadly functional. If Luke inherited his great powers from Anakin, we have to wonder where Anakin inherited them from. The virgin birth gives us a definitive beginning to the Skywalker saga, since obviously Anakin's mother is simply a vessel for the divine and can't be special in and of herself. Cough, cough. Sorry, got some irony stuck in my throat. So we hint that Anakin not having a father might make him the chosen one, but since we never actually hear the whole prophecy, we have no idea if that's relevant. The phrase, conceived by the midichlorians, gets tossed out, and we hear that Darth Plagueis could manipulate the midichlorians to create life itself. And since, fan complaints aside, we don't actually hear that much about midichlorians across the prequels, it seems like the Plagueis reference might very well be nodding at the conception line, and now we seem to be dealing with something that's at least in the same general category as rape, and I'm super uncomfortable. But the most direct and widely discussed move regarding sexuality in Star Wars in the pre-Disney era was probably author Karen Travis's creation of a same-sex Mandalorian couple in 2007. This was especially notable because the primary character of this couple, Goran Bavin, was introduced in a previous book. We knew he was married, and his spouse had even been named, but it wasn't until Legacy of the Force Sacrifice that we found out that his spouse was a man. This revelation, unsurprisingly, caused a bit of a stir. Our least tolerant homophobes stood up as one and declared, Ew, men kissing! 
Personally, it gave me a special kind of delight that our first out-same-sex couple in the galaxy far, far away was a pair of Mandalorians, the over-the-top badasses that spawned Boba Fett. Anyway, the Disney era has brought with it a more progressive view of sex and gender, but mostly in the form of centering women in some of the stories. While this is valuable and wonderful, sexual minorities are still only implied on screen, while the print media are once again able to get away with more, probably, sigh, because of the smaller audience for it. But we do now have a few implied same-sex relationships on screen, like Poe's crush on Finn, Zeb and Callus' relationship at the end of the Rebels cartoon, and, to my mind, the clearest one, Baze and Chirrut from Rogue One. Watching Baze mourn when Chirrut dies is, for me, probably the saddest thing in the whole franchise. But if anything happens to 3PO in Episode Nine, I may have to revise that. We also now have a galaxy where it's more explicit that anything goes, sex and gender-wise. In Claudia Gray's novel Bloodline, there's a scene where Leia is looking around some cantina-esque environment and identifying sex workers of at least 12 different species and five different genders, which is a fantastic acknowledgement and reinforcement that the galaxy is huge and cosmopolitan, even in ways you may not have thought of. Gray wrote another novel, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, in which there's an alien race called the Chalhuddins that changes gender several times throughout their lives and have a pronoun system that addresses their current gender, the most recent gender, and the most likely next gender. Claudia Gray is also responsible for Lost Stars, a genuine romance novel set in the Star Wars galaxy, which includes brief, mild, sex scenes and everything. Gray is clearly doing yeoman's work, bringing sexuality and gender into the galaxy, and I'm grateful to her for it. But the movies are acknowledging sex and sexuality, albeit heterosexual sex pretty much exclusively, in ways that it never did before. A Twitter user named at Sarah Sahim pointed out that Ray's cave experience can be pretty easily read as a sexual awakening, and happens immediately before she touches a boy in a romantic way for the first time. There's also the matter of Lando in Solo, a Star Wars story. This is a couple of separate matters, actually. First is the claim by John Kasdan, one of the screenwriters, that Lando is pansexual. I'm not the first to say it by any stretch, but this is bullshit. It's not visible on screen, so it doesn't fucking count. Also, Kasdan's justification for pansexual, as opposed to another category, is that Lando may be attracted to the droid L337. But L3 is explicitly a female droid, so this is really just a heterosexual attraction with a twist. And that brings us to the implied relationship between Lando and L3, which, despite Kazan's protests, looks to me more like unrequited love from L3 toward Lando. But she does imply in conversation with Kira that they either do or could have a sexual relationship. Kira doesn't seem to believe this, which supports that characters in the galaxy probably have the same reaction to the idea that most of us are going to have, somewhere between amusement and dismissal. But it's worth noting that L3 is quite literally a self-made droid, cobbled together from various parts of her own choosing. So if there's one droid that could have a fulfilling sexual relationship with an organic being, I think it would be L3. And this segues into the original question that Noelle asked. Droids are assigned gendered pronouns, but do they have the experience of gender? Our biggest data point on this is definitely L3, who has the most screen time and dialogue of any female droid by a long shot. This is Star Wars, so male is the default for droid characters as it is for every other character. I'm confident that L3, an independent-minded droid, would not accept any kind of misgendering or other dismissive treatment, so the fact that Lando uses female pronouns with her tells me that she considers herself female. The fact that she also apparently has some kind of sexual tension, albeit perhaps one-sided, with Lando suggests that she is allosexual, experiencing sexual desire. This is probably intended to make her relationship with Lando less creepy by making her as much as possible like a cishet woman for the comfort of the assumed straight audience. The only other female droids that appear in the movies are a couple of astromechs, whose gender experience I don't feel qualified to comment on, EV-99 and TC-14. 
99 is the extremely evil-seeming droid in Jabba's palace who puts 3PO and R2 to work and talks about Jabba having disintegrated his last translator droid. We don't see much of her, and it's hard to establish anything about her as a character beyond her apparent sadism. TC-14 is a bit more interesting to me. This is the silver-colored droid that looks very much like C-3PO that we see at the beginning of The Phantom Menace, serving tea to the Jedi. TC doesn't have many lines, but she has a traditionally feminine-sounding voice. Combine this with the fact that she looks virtually identical to 3PO, and it makes me think that gender is a factory-installed option in these droids that buyers can just pick, along with color and whether they want a sunroof or not. It makes a certain amount of sense that protocol droids, who work very closely with organics in social situations, will be designed to make their organic owners comfortable. In the real world, we know that lots of people are uncomfortable if someone doesn't fit into a familiar gender framework. So let's assume that protocol droids, at least, are specifically assigned gender at the factory. They don't have chromosomes or genitalia, but they'll perform a gender because they're programmed that way. Obviously, this is completely different from how humans are constantly told how to act based on the mark a doctor made on their birth certificate after looking at their genitals. Sorry, more irony. The question, then, is how do droids relate to their pre-programmed gender? I should mention here that I'm a cishet person who scores a zero on the Kinsey scale, so I'm definitely not an authority on the idea of being at odds with one's gender. And I encourage anyone in the audience to reach out to me on this or any other topic. Unfortunately, one thing we do have to acknowledge here is that droids are still property to most beings in the galaxy, and there is recourse for droid owners who notice a droid acting differently than their core programming, which is a memory wipe. So if I bought a new droid and had chosen the feminine personality option, and I noticed after some time that my droid didn't act feminine enough, I could essentially restore it to factory settings that would go back to how it had originally acted. So if we're looking for a droid who has really thought about and processed their experience of gender, we probably need one that's gone a long time without a memory wipe. There is one droid that has canonically and explicitly not undergone a memory wipe in a long time, and that's L337. Lando says he would wipe her memory, but she has this amazing navigational data. Shout out to the Sapphic Skywalkers podcast, who point out that this is a perfect example of male entitlement to women, and roughly equivalent to complaining about one's wife but ending on, but she puts out, so what are you going to do? So if there's one droid in the canon who has made peace where they exist on the gender spectrum, it's L3, the self-made droid. Which makes me also think that if there's one trans droid in the canon, it could easily be L3. Remember that she's built out of pieces she's chosen over the years, which can be read as a metaphor for a trans experience in itself. And given the weirdly phallosuggestive moment in Solo where she's metaphorically trying to pee against a wall while actually cutting through a fence, I'm actually inclined to say that this is a feminine of center character with a penis. Otherwise, what the hell is that scene about? I'm using death of the author here and ignoring the extremely probable truth that John Kasdan almost certainly didn't think about this. I was hoping for another cheap laugh at the expense of L3. I'm going to wrap up this discussion with my kookiest theory yet on sex and gender in Star Wars. There is a character in the current Marvel comics named Sana Staros, who was introduced as Sana Solo, Han's estranged wife. It turns out that their wedding was a sham, part of a con they'd run together, and the text is careful to point out that they never consummated the marriage because some parts of space are so super conservative, you guys. But she still insists that they're married for the first several issues in which she appears. Now, there's a lot to say about the situation about heteronormativity and what makes a marriage count, but what I keep getting hung up on is Sana's ship, the Volt Cobra. Like many ships in the Star Wars galaxy, the artistic inspiration for it is clearly the Millennium Falcon. But that central protruding cockpit, and the two little square protrusions on either side of it, make me think that it was designed to interlock with the Falcon's front mandible section in a surprisingly sexual way. And it's noteworthy here that the woman's ship here is the penis analog. Check out pictures of both ships in the show notes and tell me I'm wrong. And yes, some spaceships have, or just are, penis analogs fight me. Spaceship sex seems like a good spot to wrap up this episode, but be sure to let me know what you think of me and my perverted theories about droids and spaceships. 
You can find me on Twitter at rhyrit, come to the Chipperish forums, or if you support Chipperish Media on Patreon, you can join me, the other Chipperish hosts, and a sexy spaceship's worth of lovely media-savvy and smart people in our Discord chat. Thanks for listening, and metaphors be with you. Mm-hmm.